From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. How do you create a hit podcast? where, you know, you're reaching millions of people and making millions of dollars, and you just have a big show that makes a bunch of money. People ask me that all the time because I have podcasts, but I will be just totally upfront with you. I don't make shows that meet that definition. I just don't. Problem solvers that you're listening to, it's a good show. It has a good audience. It's not my full-time job. It doesn't draw in a full-time amount of money. But I do know someone really well who can answer that question. We get anywhere and this is a huge range, between like 5 and 10 million downloads per month. That is Jordan Harbinger of The Jordan Harbinger Show, which, as you can hear, is incredibly successful and makes Jordan a very nice living. And that's for good reason. The show is a lot of fun, but also incredibly insightful. He digs into everything from psychology to cults to business to financial crimes, mostly through very sharp interviews with very smart guests, but also in some other formats that you'll hear about a little later. I am a regular listener. Couldn't recommend it more highly. You walk away with a better understanding of the world and yourself. Again, the Jordan Harbinger show. But that's not the only reason I asked Jordan on the show today. It is because, well, Jordan is a friend of mine. And because of that, I know that he understands the podcast industry incredibly well and is just really transparent about what it takes to succeed in it. For example, when I asked Jordan how many downloads his show gets, he didn't just give me that number. He also explained what it means. And that depends on, I said, a big bunch of guests that get shared a lot. Are we talking about something that got picked up by Spotify and featured? Or is it just a month where the usual standby listeners got the episodes and nobody, nothing popped off and I wasn't spending a bunch on ads? So that's, that's why the range is so big. Yeah, like anyone at a certain level who is really committed to growing their show, Jordan spends money on ads, but he says that is not the thing that is ultimately going to drive success. There is a lot that goes into making a great show, concepting it out, making sure that you understand and define your audience, that you can communicate your value, that you're playing with and experimenting with formats that are going to connect and also enable the show to grow. There's a lot. And this is what we dig into in this episode. It was super interesting after being such a longtime listener and one-time guest of The Jordan Harbinger Show to hear him break down what actually drives success and how you build a great show. That's what's coming up on Problem Solvers. Are you an innovative, creative founder? Is your consumer packaged goods startup ready to make a next level leap? Target Accelerators is accepting applications for its 2023 programs now through February 3rd. Whether you're an early stage startup or a CPG company ready to grow, Target Accelerators will help you scale your business for success. That's right. Target Accelerators will unlock the potential of your brand for mass retail through curated education, personalized resources, and connection to industry-leading retail leaders, mentors, and partners that could forever shape the trajectory of your business. No fees or strings attached. Being an entrepreneur is fulfilling, but the journey can also be full of challenges as you build something from scratch. You're not alone, though. Target Accelerator's programs are expertly tailored to your needs and business and are proven to help founders reach retail success. 
So, ready to apply, scale, and succeed? Interested founders and startups can apply to all Target Accelerator's 2023 programs for a limited time on January 9th through February 3rd on TargetAccelerators.com. That's www.targetaccelerators.com. What are you waiting for? Become one of the more than 300 brands that call themselves Target Accelerators alumni today. All right, we're back talking to Jordan Harbinger of The Jordan Harbinger Show about how to build a great big podcast. And to start, I asked Jordan to back up because he did not begin with The Jordan Harbinger Show. He actually began with another show, and that relationship fell apart and forced him to start over. Here's Jordan. Yeah, I so I, I did a show for 11 years. And it was about like dating and relationships. And I was starting to really outgrow. I had really outgrown it. And in the negotiations for me to leave and take the show with me, my business partners were like, what if we just make it so that you can't get anything and then you have to sue us? And I was like, cool, whatever. That's terrible. I'm also not going to sue you. So I, because that's a waste of, I mean, that's like kind of what people want is for you to get bogged down in that. Yeah. And And the lawyers are the only people who win. Right. And as an attorney, I was like, you know what? I can sue you in seven years if I want to. Just quick interjection. Before Jordan was a podcaster, he was a Wall Street lawyer. I'm fine. I don't need to do this now. I need to focus on forward momentum. And all of my mentors and advisors were like, just forget about these guys and just build something new. And what was funny is they ended up suing me because I had early success. And it wasn't about let's do the right thing for the business. This was more of a vindictive thing where they were like, we can't have Jordan succeed without us. And what that ended up doing, which was kind of funny, was it really solidified. When you do like a business breakup, people say, oh, there's two sides to every story. But when you get sued for not doing anything after you've already left and you've just minded your own bit. So that solidified all of these other people who are kind of on the fence and put them firmly into my camp, which was a big old backfire for them, for, for my old business partners. And what it did was it, it got a lot of people helping me relaunch my show, which is the Jordan Harbinger show. So that was actually kind of lucky. It was really stressful at the time and it cost a little bit of money, but it was really lucky because it actually, in many ways, was part of the reason for the early success of the show because I was doing well, well enough to get sued by my former business partners out of ego, which then propelled me kind of to the next level. So the irony there is pretty rich. But what I started to do when I originally started my show is I went to, instead of trying to hide the problem or minimize the problem, like I think a lot of people do when there's an element of like, this bad thing happened to me, people fall into this trap where they feel ashamed of something or they feel like they've failed. And I certainly went through that in the first couple of weeks where I was like, well, everyone's gonna know and it's gonna look bad and I'm gonna feel stupid. I did go through that. But then I, w- I, I realized I had a choice to sort of minimize it and have people be like, what happened there? That's weird. And have whispers and rumors take over or just lean into it and be like, this thing blew up. This is what happened. This is where I'm at. I need help, even though I don't seem like the kind of guy who would need help. I need help now. And my network really came through for me. People were mailing out and having me on their shows and stuff like that. And I understand that not everybody has that ability. But the greater message here is, I think a lot of people start something and they're like, I'm an authority on this and I'm, I'm so great and I don't have any problems and I just, I'm just broadcasting my wisdom. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if that's the greatest way to go about building something. I think a little bit of authenticity and transparency or a lot of it is actually better. I think it's better to say, I don't really exactly know what we're trying to build. We're just trying to build something for the community. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Here's my past and here's what I've, here's why I'm qualified to tell you this and other stuff I'm just figuring out with you. The audience appreciates that kind of thing 
a lot more than I'm this know-it-all guru who came out of nowhere that you've never heard of that has no history anywhere on the internet because I'm trying to make a dollar. That is played out. We've seen that before. Audiences have seen that before. And it's not, it's not good. It's not a good look. So yeah, part of the- bringing, You're bringing people mm-hmm. along with you. Right? Right. I mean, that, that's kind of what, I, what you're describing. When you stand up and you just say, I am an authority, listen to me, you are now a singular entity. And boy, <laughs> you better be amazing. For, another, for people to, uh, to put down whatever else they were doing and go listen to you. But what you're doing instead is you're, you're saying, look, I, I've had setbacks, you've had setbacks. I'm trying to build something here. I'd love for you to be along that journey with me. And if you're a compelling character and they feel like you have something to offer, then they start rooting for you. And that's the first step to having people who are going to be there for a long time with you. I agree. And I think it really goes a long way into building a real relationship with your audience. And I think a lot of people do this wrong because they're sort of talking down from the ivory tower. Now, how did I build the show? Yes, I had an existing audience from my previous show. Many of those people came over. But the bulk of my audience has found me in the years since then. It's been five years with the Jordan Harbinger show since I've restarted here. And what I did was I went on as many other podcasts as I could, just like this. I talked about things that were hard for me. I talked about things that were going well for me. I shared knowledge really freely. I did a lot of speaking. I also traded a lot of ad swaps with other shows. This is something I barely see other shows doing, and I don't really understand why. This works in every industry, especially for podcasting, though. You might have 90% of your ads sold out for the year or 80%. That's pretty good. But then there's 20% where there's just nothing there. And if you have a reputation as a good I don't want to say connoisseur, maybe uh, if you have a reputation as a good curator of other content, you can recommend another show like Problem Solvers and you can say, hey, by the way, my friend does this show. It's called Problem Solvers. It's really good. And then that can happen for your show. And you can do that at scale. You can go to a bunch of shows. You can recommend one every week or whatever it is that we have this unsold inventory. And now you're getting free advertising for your show. You're helping your audience find other shows. And I know the reason a lot of other shows don't do this is not because it's such a great idea that only I thought of it. The reason is because, and again, it goes back to transparency and what we were talking about before, a lot of people will, and when I talk about this in, in groups, people will say, what about if I recommend Jason Pfeiffer's show and then people stop listening to my show and they just go over there? And I understand that, right? If, especially if you're a new creator, but here's the truth. People know that there are other podcasts. They know. And so if you recommend the show, you're building, and it's a good show, you're building your platform as an authority, which is great, because that does what you want it to do, but also you're getting new listeners from that show as well. And if somebody leaves your show entirely and goes to a different show that you recommend, it's kind of like there's a Zen parable in here, right? Was it really your listener to begin with ever, right? And, and what you'll find is that most people will not just completely ditch you and go somewhere else, and if they do, they'll come back later after they've binged to this new thing you recommended, I really don't see a net loss from this. But if you come in with kind of this like scarcity mindset, like I can't recommend something else, people might stop listening to me. It doesn't help you grow. You are shooting yourself in the foot so that you can retain listeners that are going to eventually find something else to listen to anyways, whether you recommended it or not, and then leave. So you might as well be the reason that they're finding new stuff because then even if they go, Jordan stuff, I've heard it a bunch, maybe I'll take a break. They're still coming to you for recommendations. They still trust you. You're the one that sent them there. They're probably going to come back at some point, right? Because they're hearing your ads and other shows that they're listening to. So it's a, it's a whole sort of big virtuous cycle. And it's a win-win because, well, it's a win-win-win. Both shows are winning and the listeners are winning because they're finding the best stuff for them to consume. And so 
I started doing that at scale and just being like, all right, I want to do something every week. Let's get a Trello board going and just put every week, do cross promo. And that worked really, really well. So I know that now people go, well, this guy spends millions of dollars a year on advertising. True. But I just started doing that. The original audience of hundreds of thousands of people or whatever it may be, that was just from showing up on other shows, having people share my show and doing these ad swaps at scale. And I just don't see other people doing this. It's a really, really underutilized. It's underutilized and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Huh. I want to ask you about content, how, what, what you're putting on the show and then formats. Uh, mm-hmm. But before I do that, let's just spend one more second on promotion. So you are going on to other shows, you're a guest on other shows, which is a fantastic way to drive audience to your show. And then also you're doing the guest swaps. Have you found anything about how to communicate what your show is about when you're a guest or when you're giving people talking points for your show that convert better? Because I will tell you, there's a difference between just going out there and saying, hey, I have a show. And then people finding you compelling enough to come and listen to your show. And I bet a lot of that Mm -hmm. comes down to figuring out how to talk about your show in a way that sounds unique and that people have to go check it out. What have you figured out about how to drive actual interest? So rather than trying to sell the show through talking points on an appearance, I actually just try to do a really good job during the appearance. So if somebody says, hey, Jordan, tell us the story about how you got kidnapped or like, hey, Jordan, tell us this story about how you found these crazy folks to interview, these spies or psychologists or whatever that you've interviewed on the Jordan Harbinger show. I'm not like, everybody come listen. I've got spies and psychologists and five-star generals and all these, because that's salesy. But if I go on and I do a good job during the appearance, people will go, that guy was kind of interesting. He's kind of compelling. He's got another show. Uh, Maybe I'll go check it out. Maybe they, they said something about spies and psychology. I like that stuff. Let me go look at the roster and see if anything catches my eye. And that works really well. That's different though than sending someone talking points when they're doing an ad read for your show. That obviously is completely different, right? That's one of those kind of like, okay, you need to have a copywriter go in, find the essence of your show, spies, psychologists, cults, crimes, and more, da da da. Check out the Jordan Harbinger show on Apple Podcasts, whatever. Like, you need that to be done in a minute. So, if I have one minute, I'm hiring a copywriter. They're going to pull out some interesting bits in the show and tease people with it. If I'm on for half an hour or an hour, Well, now I want to just really crush that appearance and knock it out of the park so that people say, wow, there's a lot of value here. Because I think nowadays, maybe in the 90s, you could go on and just sort of, you ever go to one of those events where somebody gets on stage and all they do is pitch and you're like, I thought this was a talk and you're just pissed at that person, right? That probably worked 30 years ago. Now Mm -hmm. people resent that. And if you are doing that on your podcast or on someone else's podcast, everyone just decides you're a schmucky schmuck scumbag and they're not wrong. So, so you should deliver as much value as possible, which I know sounds a little cliche, but the way you do that is just knock the appearance out of the park, give the host and the audience what they need. And if they go, that guy was great. I want more then they will go and find you. You don't have to twist everybody's arm. It just doesn't work well now to do that. So, all right, let's now talk about content. Your show is an interview show. You are really good at it. And I, you know, I'll say, I, I was a guest on your show a couple months ago and because we're friends, we talked about this a lot. I, you know, I had known that you are a researcher, that mm-hmm. if somebody's going to come on your show, you are going to have spent time with their work. That is not something that most people do. And I will tell you, uh, having just gone through a whole circuit of podcast interviews with some very, very high profile, 
you were one of maybe two people, I think, that actually like, read the book and spent any time with my work. Hmm. It's pretty rare. So that by, by itself separates you. But, but tell me what else you're doing to construct a show that's going to be sticky, right? That people are going to listen yeah. to and say, I got to come back to this for more. There's a few ways that I do that. So I do a couple interviews a week. I also on Fridays, I answer listener questions and give advice from either experts that I ping or my own opinion, depending yeah. on what that, the question and that, that's a, that, that was a format question that I wanted to ask about later is how, how okay. you came to think about doing that. But, but let's, sure. let's, let's focus on the interview stuff first. Sure. So the reason that I, or the, one of the ways I create sticky interviews is one, yeah, I read the book from the guest or like watch the movie and read the book, whatever it is. And I take a bunch of notes and I organize the notes in a way that makes sense. And some people will go, oh, you should just have a free flowing conversation. And I disagree with that. I think anybody who can speak English and maybe somebody who's funny could have a free flowing conversation, but okay, now you, congrats, you're in the middle of the pack of all other podcasts, nothing really sets you apart unless you are friends with Joe Rogan and you go on his show and he sends your audience or his audience your way. In that case, congratulations, otherwise you're, you're screwed. So what I try to do is prepare more than everybody else, create really good notes that I know are gonna be valuable for the audience, tease those out of the guest and have a reasonably entertaining conversation while I'm doing that process. That is a rare combination, as you said before, just the prep alone. and then. In addition, I make sure that even down to my ad reads, my ad reads, I don't approve ads for things that I think are gross or have bad reviews online because I don't want my audience to go, oh, I bought this thing and it sucked. I'm not going to trust Jordan anymore. I got to yeah. be really careful with that, right? It, people don't, a lot of podcasters, they don't think about their ads. They'll just do whatever pays the bills. And they're like, ah, hashtag capitalism. You got to be really careful because you're, you're dealing with the trust of your audience. It's, you really have that in your hands. It's yours to lose. Also, at the end of every show, I run a trailer for another show on my feed. So if someone's like, wow, that episode about the spy cult, whatever it was, was really cool. I'll run a related trailer and I'll send people back to episode seven or 70 or 700, oh, whatever that's it is, cool. that's of really the show. Cool. And those cost money to make. But I figure over time, what happens is and what I hear from audience feedback is they go, man, I listened to your episode with so-and-so because he posted it on Twitter and then or I found you in the ranks. Then at the end, I heard that there was a trailer for another one from another guy who I like, and then I heard that one, and then I heard there was a trailer for, and people just go down this rabbit hole where they're like, and then I listened to 20 episodes, and I was like, this is my favorite podcast. Oh my God, how did I not know about this before? And that's what you want, because you, you tell people what to listen to next. They don't go, ah, oh, that Jordan episode is over. Let me see what else I got saved on my phone. They go, well, I'm just gonna go get episode 44 of the Jordan Harbinger show, because I already heard a trailer, and it looks, sounds cool. So, you know, I, you know, what's funny about that is, is it's reducing friction where people may not even realize there is friction, right? The friction is that the episode ended and people, you won people over enough to make them think, I will listen to another episode from this mm -hmm. guy. But now they have to decide what episode that is. And so exactly. now they're like, look, they're looking around. And that is actually friction. Never really thought about that. So if you can just drive people towards what to listen to next, you have reduced friction. They're going to spend more time with it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I also do a lot of other things that people that don't scale that people also refuse to do. You know, you think reading the book is tough. Try answering every piece of fan mail that comes in, every DM on Instagram, every LinkedIn message. But what this does over time is people go, wow, this guy really cares about his audience. I sent him this thing and he replied and then we started talking and then he mentioned that I should write a review of the show or whatever I ask him at the end of the conversation. So they go and do that. And that's kind of one of those psychological things where it's like, well, I asked somebody for a favor, they did me the favor and now they feel more connected to, to me and the show. It's not 
I don't do it to manipulate people. That's part that maybe is a little a little bonus that they feel an affinity towards the show. I want the review, but I also really enjoy talking with show fans. And you can you shouldn't do this if you don't enjoy talking with your show's fans because they're gonna tell they're gonna know they're gonna be like, oh, this guy sucks, or he's just <laughs> going through the motions. So I do a lot of things that don't scale, but over time, yeah, maybe I spend hours per week answering fan mail, whatever, writing people back. But over time, I'd like to think, and I don't have like hardcore data for this, but I would assume that that creates longer term listeners, which is great because acquiring a new listener is really expensive. Losing a listener, potentially, you have to replace that person. That's expensive. So if I can reduce the amount of people that go, eh, I don't care about this guy. I don't care about the show. If I can make that happen less because I answer their concerns or I interact with them in some way that makes them feel heard or special or interesting. And frankly, many of them are quite interesting, uh, the show's fans that write in, then it becomes more like they're a part of the show. And I think people go, wow, he took my suggestion. Wow, he listened to my feedback. So that kind of thing creates longer term relationships with your show's fans. And that means that your show grows over time, which is what we want. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do a very similar thing where I, I respond to everybody's DM. I will often say it on, on podcasts mm-hmm. that I'm on, you know, reach out, I promise to respond. And the reason... I found that that's really valuable in addition to everything else you just said there is because when somebody reaches out to you or me or really probably most people, they don't exactly expect a response. Right. People are busy. They don't know how, many, how much inbound they get. And so I'm sure this happens with you. When I respond to people, like the number one thing that they say is, oh my God, you responded. Like they, just, mm-hmm. they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it is so easy for me to do that, right? I mean, it is, it is literally me standing at the microwave waiting for the pizza to heat up and I can respond to a couple DMs. And those are a couple of people that are unbelievably delighted because they got way more from me than they thought they were going to. And it took almost no effort for me. So it is really the cheapest way to build a fan. And that mm-hmm. fan is going to be with you for a long time. So I, I really love that. Let me ask you then, because I think that probably responding to them led into the, into the, what you do on the Friday show. Yeah. But did you, the thing that the Friday show, so explain the Friday show, but then here's why I really wanted to talk about it is because something that I'm seeing in podcasting now is a version of what you're doing here, which is thinking about different formats on different days in, in feed, right? It used to be, I think that every episode was exactly the same. And now people are almost sometimes, sometimes running kind of different kinds of shows on different days. And that's, you know, sometimes it's a long form, sometimes it's a short form that can seem random unless it's very intentional. Can you tell me about the strategy behind that and how you've seen it work? Yeah, so every Friday I do an advice show. And that started because people started writing in and going, okay, you're a smart guy, I've got this dilemma, nobody else can answer it. Or you've got this, I remember you said XYZ on your podcast a few years ago, I don't know anybody else with this experience, would you mind helping me with, I don't know, like getting a law job or whatever. And I started doing the advice and then people realized that the advice was good and then they started writing in more And I, so I brought in one of my producers who reads the letters and he's also a researcher. So he'll be like, wait a minute, this is a really touchy question about infidelity or abuse or something else. So we'll get one of the experts that I had interviewed on the show, such as a psychologist, psychiatrist, somebody who's a lawyer, whatever, we'll get their take on the question. We'll incorporate that into the answer. And then people go, wow, I can get actual advice from these people. So people write in with these crazy conundra and we try to help solve it or give them perspective on it. And that turned into a show that I put in the feed. Now, why didn't I spin that off into another feed? Reason is, one, I don't want to run two shows, two brands, whatever. But two, most people go, I don't need to listen to the advice shows. That's not something for me. They start off with an interview and then they eventually, it stays playing while they're cooking chicken 
and they go, wow, that was more interesting than I thought. And then they start to binge those. So you don't want to make, again, friction where somebody, say they hear an ad for the advice show that's in a different feed. Now they've got to go and subscribe to something else. Are they really going to do that? They might not. There's a bunch of friction there. If they just fell asleep with one interview on and they wake up and the advice thing is on and they're like, wait, this is more interesting than I thought. Now you've got another listener to that segment in that show. Same thing, I, I started adding debunking episodes on Sundays. That's gonna be something in 2023 that we really lean into every week where it's like, why the Olympics are kind of a sham, why supplements and vitamins are kind of BS, energy drinks and why they're actually bad for you or worse for you than you think. Things like that, we call it Skeptical Sunday. That's another comedian and a fact checker who's really is kind of a skeptic guy. And we go and we shred a topic together. And that's been really interesting too. And it's for people that go, they, they come for their interview with, uh, I don't know, Kobe Bryant or whatever it is that they saw in the feed and they stay for the other stuff. And then eventually the other stuff becomes their favorite. And one of the reasons I don't just do the same thing for everyone is one, audiences want different stuff. And two, if you've ever gotten sick of a podcast, it's probably because it's kind of gotten to be the same thing over and over. And if you add variety in a way that makes sense, you know, I wouldn't have one that's a comedy segment, and then another one that's a skeptical segment, and another one that's an interview segment. That doesn't make any sense. But skepticism and advice, those can kind of hold hands. It, interviews with scientists and other fascinating people, that holds hands and sort of is adjacent to skepticism. So all of these things make sense for the personality type that might listen to the show. Some people might skip certain episodes. I don't really care. That's fine. But really what you want is a show where people go, I'm not going to get sick of this because even if one is an interview and the next one's advice, I can just push forward and it's gonna be something in a different format. So it keeps people interested for years on end. And again, that's what you want. You want that stickiness. Format helps with that. And you get people that only listen to one format. They skip the interviews because they like the advice and then eventually they hear one of those. So, and frankly, another thing that I probably shouldn't say out loud, but I'm gonna do it anyway. When you subscribe to a podcast feed, and you download the episode, I don't, I, I would like it if you listened to that episode, but if you don't, I still get paid for the impressions. So if you don't like the advice stuff, but it happens to automatically download in your app, then cool, fine. Not the best case scenario, but also better than nothing. I'll take it. <laughs> right. right, and this leads to the like one other element that I wanted to talk about here strategically about growth, which is, so number one, I think a lot of people might worry, but your answer there pushed back against that worry. The worry would be that putting stuff in a feed that is outside of people's maybe original expectations, or maybe they're not interested, they like the interview shows, they're not interested in the advice shows, that maybe that would turn them off and they would just unsubscribe because it's it's like getting, it's like now it's like getting spammed, right? It's like, yeah. ah, the stuff that I didn't want. But, but I imagine that you're not finding that because otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. So even if you're putting stuff out that people don't expect, if they don't want it, they just don't listen to it, but they're not unsubscribing as a result. Is that right? Right. I've, I've gotten one piece of feedback in the last like 16 years of podcasting where someone said, ah, I wish these other episodes weren't in the feed. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, that's one person who can't, what, skip an episode or not put a plan. <laughs> it's like, that's a weird problem to have. I don't really care about those outliers. I would probably be getting a lot more negative reviews and negative feedback about, hey, why is this in there? There are people that say, man, I wish this was its own feed because then I could listen in a row. And it's like, well, you can always make playlists yourself. And is it that hard to hit forward to the next one? I just, I'm not super sympathetic to that kind of thing in this day and mm. age. Uh, all right. So then, and then that leads me to the final thing I'm going to ask about, which is volume. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing here is you're, you're not just adding variety, which I 
point very well taken about how if you get sick of a podcast, it's possibly because it's become repetitive. That's definitely happened with me. It's also probably good variety for you, I imagine, because you yeah. probably would like to do more than just interview people. So, and and it, it gives new ways for people to engage with you, to understand you, to build a relationship with you. But how many days is too many days to release an episode? Have you tested that or explored that? Because how many episodes are you putting out a week now? I, I put out three. I would say three is probably the max. And, and not just for the li- not just for the listener. I mean, I suppose you could do more if they were shorter. If you had a news podcast, you could t- probably do daily, you know, five days a week, whatever it was. If they were 20 minutes long, 15 minutes long, you could probably do daily. I don't do that. My, you know, my interviews are over an hour. My advice shows are about an hour. Skeptical Sunday is about an hour, maybe a little under. So that is a format where people can go, okay, I can listen to this. They can binge it if they want to, but there's also room for other things in their life or other podcasts, which is great. For me though, yeah, it's not just variety for me, which I enjoy, of course. I like doing the advice. I like doing Skeptical Sundays. I like doing the interviews. But also, I'm not just, as you've mentioned earlier in the, in the show here, I'm not just mailing it in and showing up and being like, oh, you wrote a book on, what was it called again? Oh, Build for Tomorrow, cool. Yeah, what was that? what's that about? I don't do that. I read the whole thing. I've got a bunch of notes. So if I'm doing two interviews a week, I got to read two books a week. That's a lot. I've got two little kids. I've got four episodes, three, three episodes, whatever it is that I'm releasing. I can't do more than that. And mm-hmm. so this coming year, 2023, I'm actually going to do one interview a week, one advice show on Fridays and one skeptical Sunday, and I'm going to call it. And it's going to leave me with a lot more time, like a lot, lot, because I don't have to read that second book and conduct that second interview. It probably gives me back something like a day and a half in my work week, really, which is Mm. incredible. Think about that. You're getting 20% of your time back from changing things up like that. I mean, that's really, really something. Yeah, that's amazing. And well, that last question was meant to be sort of the end, but I'm going to add this because I'm curious what you think, because what you just said there reminds me of something that I continually discover for myself, which is that sometimes I think that the way that I am doing something is the only way that it can be done and the way that people expect it to be done. Mm -hmm. And then if I make a change, oftentimes because I'm forced to because I've run out of time, what I discover is that there were actually many other ways to do it that maybe were more efficient. This podcast is one of them. This podcast used to be a produced show where I would interview someone and then I would write a script and I would chop up a million pieces of tape and I would basically run it like a 20 minute NPR segment. And I I thought that is what makes the show distinctive. Mm -hmm. But then I ran out of time because I had kids and, you know, it was just not possible. And so I just turned it into a straight conversation show. It's much easier to produce, saves me a lot of time. Turns out, I don't think that anybody even noticed or, you know, they they didn't, they were just happy. They were happy for the, for the information and they didn't exactly care about the format. So here you're making this shift and, uh, and I just sort of put it to you because I'm curious about your thoughts here. Here you're making this shift. You're removing something that used to be core to the brand, Mm -hmm. the Jordan Harbinger show brand, which is the interviews. And you're replacing it with something that's actually kind of totally new or at least an outgrowth of, of something else with the Skeptical Sundays. And it's giving you more time. And I, I'm curious if you have either tested this or mm-hmm. how you feel about going into that kind of change, wondering if you're making too much change for the audience or if you're confident that you're bringing just the same amount of, if not more, value to the audience and saving your time. Yeah, I have tested it. I would never make a big shift like this without being like, oh, let's run this for a couple of weeks or a month and see what happens. What I did is I ran it for a month and people went, I love this new segment, but oh my gosh, there's four episodes a week now. That's a lot. And I went, yeah, it's a lot, but you know, four episodes, more inventory for ads, whatever. And some people 
would say that I should run all four of those, including the people who sell advertising for me, because more inventory is more money for everybody. But I, instead of choosing more money, I'm choosing more time. And I'm just going to release the one interview a week, the one Friday show with the advice, and then the Skeptical Sunday, because the heavy lifting on Skeptical Sunday is done by the fact checker and the comedian who helps me write it, the producer. And so that's been really helpful. I can always add the second interview back in if I want to, but I, you know, like I, I've got little kids, I'm making enough money from the show. I don't want to overload the audience where they can't, they start to be like unable to listen to all of them because there's not enough hours that they have free for this. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to kill myself trying to read two books a week and do two interviews and an advice show and a skeptical Sunday, unless there's really a need for that in the business. And there's just not right now. If I were doing a different kind of deal with my network where they paid me based on the number of monthly downloads or something along those lines, then I might have a different equation here. But right now, what's best for everybody, including my own sanity, is just to relax a little bit and get into a flow and realize like, hey, I'm allowed to have a life now. And what's probably going to happen is I'm going to work almost as hard and I'm going to end up being like six months ahead on my production schedule because I've done so many interviews and I have still read two books a week, most weeks, just not every week to tread water. I'm going to end up with a situation where I just have a bunch of extra episodes, which is actually really nice because it means I can, I don't know, take off with my family and go to Europe for a month and not be like, I've got to record this thing and tearing my hair out and wondering when I'm going to get time to consume seven straight hours of an audiobook in order to prep for a show in two days. So that kind of thing is going to result in a much lower level of stress for me, which is a better quality of life kind of thing. A better quality of life makes for better episodes. Well, Jordan, mm-hmm. thanks for sharing how to build a great podcast and enjoy that incredibly long vacation that you're building towards. Yep, thank you very much. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.